0: So before we begin, let us take a moment to pay homage to the Deva of Devas, the Brahma of Brahmanas, the Supreme Buddha, He who is undefeated, unparalleled, unequaled, He who is mercy, compassion, loving kindness and equanimity, knows no limits or bounds, and is more infinite and vast than all the oceans put together. He whose wisdom is far greater than all the, sky, all the stars in all the skies put together. <clears throat> he who is our guide, our teacher, let us take a moment to pay veneration to him at the same time. Remind ourselves that this is an affirmation that we make as the greatest respect that we can show towards the Supreme One is to fulfill the path that He proclaimed and laid down for us. So that is what we now take as our oath. Namo tasse Bhagavato arhato Sama Sambuddhas Namo Tasse Bhagavato Arehato Sama Sambuddhas Namo Tasse Bhagavato Arehato Sama Sambuddhas You know it's a good day when the numbers are small oh that's always how it works so as a teacher one of the teachers at the monastery I have six six students who take instruction from me and Oh, let me put it this way. I have the privilege of giving instruction and guiding six great men on their path to their salvation and to guide them, to guide others. That's an honor and a privilege that I have. So whenever we meet at least once a week, when they come to see their teacher. So that is a practice that we have at the monastery. <clears throat> every monk, anagarika, and anagarika, each and every one of them has a teacher assigned to them who takes great care for their students and of their students. Weekly check-ins are mandatory. In addition to that, when when they are sailing rough waters sometimes, you get your daily catch-ups as well, if it's needed. And on these occasions, they will come and ask questions that they have. It could be sometimes questions in the Dhamma. Sometimes it could be advice that they need in practicing the path. Sometimes it can be how to overcome some obstacles and challenges that they have found on their way. And on these occasions, I myself am impressed by the things that come out of this (laughs) mouth. So I look forward to those discussions. Not because I love the sound of my own voice, particularly not these days, but the things that I get to hear during those chats, (coughs) they are very profound, which is time and time again proof to me that it is is not me who is doing it, because then I should be able to do it even in their absence. It doesn't work like that. I don't think I'd be able to do the same if I walked up to a rubber tree and looked at it and started talking to it. It doesn't work like that. Any effect is the result of causes coming together. <clears throat> so, as I said, when the numbers are small, the Dhamma becomes sharper and it becomes more potent because of the higher concentration less surface area, same force. So there's a lot more oomph to it. Because when the numbers are smaller, remember, this is ultimately, this is a performance. And the factors that directly influence this performance are things like merit power, how much the person who's doing the performance cares about the fact that there are minds that need healing. So it's a combination of those two things. And when, imagine if you were the only person in this room, then... the entire energy and focus is on that one person. So nothing that will be said is in any way related to anyone else at that time. It is entirely focused on one person. So that's why I say when the numbers are smaller, this gets sharper. So brace yourselves. Don't tell me I didn't warn you. Because it's not me who's doing it. I don't get to decide what I have to tell you today. It is not a conscious decision. There are sometimes you know I might have some announcements to make. Then, you know, I'll be reading off a script. I'll tell you, oh, this is happening, that is happening. Like today we have the Dakineyo event. Hmm? Those are pre planned, they are pre scripted. So I know some point in the sermon I'm going to have to talk to you about it. But the actual essence of the Dhamma, none of that is scripted. That is why sometimes I walk out of here thinking, wow, that was one hell of a sermon. So it helps when everyone is alert and awake because once these things shut off like this, then you know, that connection, that, that avenue that starts drawing those merits, you know, that, that shuts off. Because it is the mind whose merits (coughs) are drawn at that moment. So this is the door to your mind, isn't it, for me? And as well as these two things. But when it's obvious that those doors are shut, then that avenue is is no longer available. Right. Let's talk about something very practical. And see how we can relate what we have learned so far in the Dhamma to solving problems that we come across in our lives. You now last week was a good example of that. <clears throat> we talked about you know when the mind is in conflict with someone and thoughts that you might have, how do you apply the Dhamma in those situations? And we talked about multiple identities, remember? And that was a, a really interesting Dhamma point, I thought. <clears throat> it is proof, indeed, that this Self that you feel, although you feel that it is a unique, a stand-alone identity, this is, it was proof that it is not something like that. The very fact that you can be someone else in two different times, right? one person now and someone else the next moment, the fact that you are still a child and then later on you become a, an adult and then you think you are a mother or a father, right? or you become an uncle, or you become a grandparent, and you think now I'm Achiyama. All of this is proof that this self is something that is made on the fly. It is not an entity, it is not a concrete entity that has forever existed. Which is why, again, you think you today you are a human being, when the body changes, you think you are now a Deva, and when the outside shell, this is the shell, you know, the outside shell changes, you are a man. You know, think about some people who go through, you know, uh, procedures, sex changes, gender changes, right? Sometimes they, they, don't, they, they find it difficult to identify themselves with what they see in, see in the mirror. So they go under the knife sometimes, they get chemotherapy and various other hormonal treatments and so on because they don't identify with the shell. So they go through that treatment because they want to be somebody else. Inside they feel that they are someone else. Excuse me. And sometimes we get questions like, is, this, is it okay for that? Yeah, is that frowned upon in Buddhism? Like sometimes when some people come and ask me, you know, what does Buddhism say about doing drugs? Recently someone asked me that question. <clears throat> someone asked me, some answer, what about doing weed? Is that bad? According to Buddhist teaching?" Would, that, would you class and consider that as drugs? I only had one question for him. I said, Puta, is TV, a drug. You answer that question and I'll answer this question for you. <clears throat> because he was asking me a technical question. It's a minor technicality. Because what it is today will not be the answer tomorrow. Hmm? At some point, somewhere in the world, they'll legalize it. Perhaps it is already. Maybe I'm just behind the times. At some point, methamphetamine will be legalized. You know, if you can't beat them, join them. If you can't stop them, then make them work for you. Isn't it? That's the way the world works. At some point, you know, you're going to tip the balance. There will be the crime doers and the crime fighters. It is only natural and organic this time, the, the crime doers are always going to keep going up in numbers because their force is much greater and much more virulent than the force of the crime fighters because they have to be paid. Crime doers don't have to be paid. They do it for some other reasons, other motives. Yeah? So. Then what's going to happen is the crime doers are going to win as they have already, you know, the fact, the very fact that these things are on the rise means, you know, the crime fighters—they are already on the back foot, <clears throat> and it's not a win. It's not a war that can be won that way. So, so that's why I said it was simply a technical question: Is 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 weed, you know, uh, bad? Do you think there is drugs? So, I said I have a life question for you. You have a technical question. I have a life question. Is tea bad? Is that an addiction? Is that a drug? What about chocolate? Is that a drug? Hmm? What is a drug? Is it a chemical substance that they produce in a laboratory somewhere, or maybe that grows on a plant that you can extract from it, and when you take it, you know, you start seeing hallucinations, well, what about TV? When you switch it on, don't you start seeing hallucinations? Huh? What is Rande Pai all about? Rande hallucinations? Hmm? Is a film not a hallucination? Switch it on. Hmm? Oh, Transformers. <coughs> what is a hallucination? when what you're seeing is something that is not real. Hmm? You switch on TV, now you see a film. Hmm? What is that? film? It's a hallucination. And for the duration of that film, do you at least for a moment step outside into the real world? You forget hunger. When you do drugs, you forget hunger. <laughs> hmm? You forget that you need to go to the washroom. When you start watching a movie, you forget that as well. Fortunately, breathing is involuntary. <clears throat> Thank heavens for that. Fortunately breathing is voluntary. Imagine if you had to think and consciously breathe. Then they would make movies illegal. Because if that movie runs for three hours, you know, do you even sense time running? Uh, by the by, the point you've come, you know watched that film, you look at the clock. And you go, what? God, I'm late. Hmm? Cartoons, teledramas, dramas, or just TV in general. <clears throat> if it's not something that keeps you in the real world, if it creates a world for you, this sensual world is a hallucination. So then, tell me. Which one's worse? Heroin? Ice? Or television? So that's why I said, it's just a technical question. <clears throat> is weed? You know, is doing weed considered? Is doing drugs? What about eating chocolate? What about ice cream? Have you never sat down with a tub of ice cream thinking, oh, I'm just going to have two or three spoonfuls? Yeah, right. <coughs> it's when the spoon hits the bottom, you know that you need to go back for refills. That's when you start feeling ge- oopsies, <laughs> oopsies. You forget that you had a pact between Malli and Nangi. And we, ago, we were going to have one third of it. Now you forget. It's when the next piece you put in your mouth is actually the foil. That's when you know the bar has run out. So hallucination. In that world you create for yourself, you are somebody else, you are not the real you. If you were the real you, wouldn't you recognize for a moment that what you are putting in is dangerous and harmful for you? What is doing drugs then? Not a moment's consideration to think about the fact that what you're putting in is harmful for you, it's toxic. Yeah? You take a syringe and sometimes, you know, inject that and, you know, the the, the pain is just secondary. You don't even feel that. Because the kick that you get out of it, you know, that is what you're after. So, TV, same thing. Chocolate, same thing. Ice cream, same thing. pornography which is worse that or drugs at least you know when you do drugs like right, you you know if it once you once you get yourself the right dose right you fall flat right? it takes a while for you to regain your consciousness and start taking the next dose that's not so for pornography you can just keep going on and on and on and on that's why they say, Nati Rago Samanaggi, the Buddha says. There is no fire like the fire of desire. Wow. You've seen forest fires, at least on TV? When do they stop? Once it has consumed everything in its way. That's when it stops. Because once it starts, there's no stopping, until it has consumed everything in its way. Anything that is flammable, it will consume. Every twig, every leaf, every insect, even the innocent rabbit. No mercy. That's why forest fires are dangerous. And to start it, you just need one spark. Isn't it? One spark is enough. See? Of course, you know, these are similes from the perfect one. So, it has to be the perfect simile. Now, go in your minds to times when you felt desire. How one thing after the other just kept on growing, kept on growing, kept on growing how come people can binge on whatever? The fact that you can binge on something means what you're doing doesn't stop you. It doesn't satisfy you. That's why you can binge on something. You can binge watch. You can binge drink. You can binge eat. Hmm? Means it's, It does not satisfy. The fact that you can binge means, you know, for anyone with a half a brain cell, you can begin to wonder, the fact that I can binge on something means it does not do what I'm hoping to get out of it. You've got to think about this. But of course not in that moment. Because in that moment all common sense goes out the window. That is not the time for common sense. That is the time for no sense. Hmm? Young people in the audience. Used to be young people in the audience. Soon to be young people in the audience. All of you. Think about the times in your life when these things happened. Music is another. As harmless as it may seem, some people you can't get their headsets off. Haven't you seen people like that? As in, I've seen less of it here, but I know if it's out there, eventually it'll be here. That's the way it works, right? Whatever the Suddha decides that they have to do, after a while it becomes the trend here. Remember when trousers used to be worn to the waist and then after a while people thought, well, why bother all the way up? Hmm? We didn't start it here. Started somewhere else, but then soon enough, all you need is one advert. All you need is one website. The beauty of an interconnected world. All you need is one Instagram photo, and now it's trending. It's it's just a, it's the thing these days, isn't it? Trending, everything has to be trending. <laughs> Everyone wants to be a trendsetter. Hmm? Just think about how much of a, um, <clears throat> how much of a, how much they lack in self-esteem. For for someone to want to be a trendsetter, what they what they're looking for is. For someone else to validate them, and we talked about this another uh, one, on, a pre- on a previous occasion. This is validation they are looking for. Someone else to validate my presence. Someone else to appreciate me. Right? This is this is what people want when they go out looking for a gathering. You know, nowadays <clears throat> for young people, it how many friends they have on Facebook. They don't have to be real friends. But the number, you know, this is a big thing for people nowadays. You know, you'll know this among friends in school, right? People will ask you, how many mates have you got on Facebook? How many friends do you have on Facebook? How many friends do you have on this? How many friends do you have on that? You know, that's, that matters for your street cred. If you've got a, a good, reasonably high number of friends, then, you know, you are well connected. And that gives you a social uh, acceptance. <clears throat> so, one picture of someone doing something that is new, think about why these, how these trends are set. This is a good, you know, a really good discussion to have. Think about why these trends are set. Because it helps you stand out of the crowd. That's what people are looking for. Something different. Something to help me separate myself. Ah, See, we come back to the Mecca. Hmm? Something that helps you separate yourself from the rest. The fact that you sense an identity, a self is evidence that the, the last thing that the mind will fight for, even on a sinking ship, the last thing that the mind will fight for, even when you're in the aviti, right? When the whole world is up in flames, hmm? and you're boiling in hot molten lava, even then, the mind is fighting for an identity. So you can see how badly the mind wants this. So, that being the case, because, you know, even in the aviti, when, you know, all hell has broken loose, quite literally, right? Even then, the mind still feels that I am a self, right? So, that happens when there's a relief from vexation, right? So, can you see, even when you're in the aviti, there's still a bigger vexation than that? <laughs> the vexation to identify yourself? So, which do you think is worse? This, this vexation to free oneself from the, from the aviti or the vexation to free oneself from not sensing a self-identity. The latter. That's why he, he saved us from hell. I don't know whether those hells exist or not. But I know he saved me from another kind of hell. That's the hell he saved me from. A hell that is much worse than those hells. A hell that is much worse than the purgatories. The flaming hells. The toxic lava hell. You know, people will ask, no, Do these hells exist, so I've never seen them. Have you seen them? I say, no. I've not seen them. When life is hell, why are you looking for another hell? But we make life hell because we don't understand the Dhamma and the Buddha came here to save us from hell. Now you don't need to ask which hell. So that is how badly the mind wishes to achieve this sense of separation, identity, uniqueness. Hmm? So now imagine then, when everyone's doing the same thing, when everyone's walking forward, Imagine if you saw a, a, a video clip, a YouTube short, where someone's doing the moonwalk. Hmm? Now what does everyone else want to do now? The moonwalk. Why? No one else is doing it. So if I do that, I stand out of the crowd. They're looking for that recognition. That is what recognition is. They're looking for recognition. Recognize that I am different. That is what recognition is. What is this recognition? How do you recognize the chair among other chairs? It's the same stuff. Hmm? But people look for recognition. You know, they have recognition and award ceremonies, don't they? Oh, wonderful things, aren't they? <laughs> Why is it such a big deal to be, to be first in class? Because you get recognized among your peers. You stand out. That's why it matters to you if you have, you know, everyone else sits on a standard chair and you have a swiveling chair. Recognition. That's why when your office is glass, glass walls, and everyone else is sat in the, you know, the general office area, you get recognition. You are recognized as a separate person, a separate identity, a separate entity. That's why titles matter. I know lots of people who work hard on their academic qualifications, not purely because they want to serve, but because of the recognition that it helps them achieve. Sometimes they'll work hard to get themselves, maybe, say, a PhD in whatever field, and then what they'll go on to do is completely unrelated to their field of study. So much so, these days you can buy some of those titles. There are some doctorates, you just have to pay for it. You have, just, it just costs you something. You know, when man can nowadays buy himself a plot of land on the moon, and not in a million years will he ever set foot there, just so that he can say, hmm, I... What's the most beautiful word in this world? I own huh? a plot of land. I own a piece of the moon. You get me? Oh, what a wonderful feeling that is. Exhilarating. The fact that you can say that. Hmm? What gets you faster? From uh say peta to um fort. Same thing, Two different places, right? Yeah. So what gets you faster from peta to fort? Is it uh, a Lamborghini? Hmm? Or a Maruti. Remember you have traffic? Hmm? Remember the roads are this wide and there are three wheel drivers on the road okay <clears throat> they're both air conditioned fully air conditioned but why does it matter then that what you're driving has to stand out why why is it so such a such a deal that you know, when you, have you not seen some people, when they get into a car, they'll rev the engine? Hmm? <clears throat> what for? Why burn that fuel? Zero efficiency at that moment, isn't it? Energy and no work done. Hmm? Energy expended, but no work done equals how much efficiency? Zero. No, but some work is being done. (laughs) I'm standing out of the crowd. There are people standing around saying, oh, that's sick, man, that's sick. (laughs) Recognition. Yes, we should be amused by these stories, but equally, we should ask ourselves, who are we laughing at? It's okay to laugh, provided one eye, maybe you are keeping on the world outside and they think that's funny, but remember the other eye should be in front of a mirror. That's when that laugh is okay. When half of your laugh is actually towards yourself. That's why I come here and lay it out there about the things I used to do in my past. Sometimes I feel I need to bring with me a sick bag. Not to punish myself. Not to feel bad, but more to think about the consequences of this lunacy that we go through. This is, you know, this is a study then. So I'm not, I've not come here to give you a comedy show. What I've come here to do is to get you to start asking some questions. Open your mind, mm-hmm. be critical, but productively critical. It's okay to laugh. Yeah, you know, partly I'm I'm saying this because it is amusing, yes. No denying that. But. It's important that we look at ourselves through that lens and ask ourselves, didn't I do the same things? Was a tie worn and a coat worn simply because that was the office attire? Or did it matter how you looked in front of others? Those things were important. You know, you know, parents, elders, adults in the in the room. You know how much for teenagers these days. You know, teenage is synonymous, isn't it, with recognition and standing out of the crowd. You know, at such a young age, think about what's what's going on in those minds. You know, we try and save our our children from abuse. Hmm? We we try and save them from abuse, and then we switch sit them in front of the TV. Now, what gives? You want to save them from strangers. You tell them if someone gives you something, puta, don't eat it. Bring it home and ask apachi. Hmm? If someone tries to touch you, right, and you're feeling uncomfortable, then please withdraw, okay, immediately, and go and t- talk to an adult. Talk to your teacher. Come and come and tell us. Now you do all that, but then. You, they have a Facebook account, they have an Instagram account, they f- sit in front of the TV. Often parents ask me, you know, how do how do how do we Swamiji Then, you know, how do we isolate our children from all these bad influences in the world? You can't do that. How do we stop this asevana chabalana? You can't do that. What you need to do is the the thing after it, panditan sevana. If you have that, then Nasevanach Balanam is already happening. This Sevanay this, this or the association is not the TV. It's you being able to filter. That's, that's, all, that's all happening wholly internally. Your ability to filter good from bad, right from wrong, samad from Micah. That ability only happens when you have the thing that comes after that, Panditana and Jaseva. This is the part that most people, most parents actually forget to think about. They'll try and keep their children safe, but they won't give them the noble association. You know, a lot of parents, you know, they take a lot of time and care. And they, you know, they'll go to great lengths to keep their children from associating the wrong kind of crowd. And that's good. Sometimes, you know, instead of putting children into group classes, what will parents do? Individual classes. Why, if you ask them? Because I care about my child. I don't want my child falling, you know, spending time with the wrong kind of people. Excellent. What they're trying to do is to prevent them from associating the wrong kind of person, but they forget to do the other part. That's only half of the solution. And one that is not something that you can keep on doing forever. Because to do that, you have to always be around. See? If you're not going to teach your child right from wrong, and you're the one who's making that selection, those choices for them, then for them to be safe, who's always going to have to be around? You're going to have to be around. Think about what made you, what enabled you to become someone who can make those choices for your child and... Do that for your child, not feed it, take it to the water and show it how to drink. That's what needs to be done. That's why is only half the, half the solution. And that's very temporary. How can you do it forever? Honestly, answer me, you know, parents, you know, is it, is it practically possible to keep your children off the internet? No. And do you know how to configure a commercial firewall? Hmm? an industry standard firewall? Do you know how to create accounts for them so that they can log in and then you can monitor their web history you know, and then you can keep an eye and be alerted when things are going wrong? You don't know how to do that because that is not your speciality. You learned how to cook, you learned how to feed, you learned how to you know attend the household. you didn't go and learn how to set up a firewall. But, you know, without any preparedness on that part, what has happened is, you know, people, our children have been exposed to everything that's coming from there. The internet is not the bad thing. The internet was not invented to do bad things. It was invented to serve, like the knife. It wasn't invented to kill. It was invented to save lives. It was invented to slice bread. So that you can feed those slices and save lives. But then ignorance and attachment hijacked. And that fig- they figured, oh, the knife can be used for more harmful things. See? They weren't invented for things like that. So the only way that you can save your children, and yourselves, is if you do the other part, Pandita Nanja And that is why you have brought your children here. That is why you bring your children to see you, mother. That is why you bring your children and give them some time to talk with the Swami Because even, perhaps that might be 15 minutes, but in that 15 minutes, they will talk to them about how to fortify their minds, how to build that fortress around them. They'll give them the weapon of wisdom, the shield of wisdom. <clears throat> make sure that you, when you, know, when you plan your children's future, that you do that, right? You know, right from the day you hold that infant in your arms and go, I'm going to make you the happiest thing alive. Hmm? Every parent would have done that. Right? And then from that day onwards, you plan for their future. You planned about their education, you planned about their health, you planned about where they're going to be, you planned about you know, their inheritance. You planned where they were going to take their higher education. Hmm? Maybe you saved up for university abroad. You wanted them to become a doctor, maybe for five long years, all that tuition that you need to give them, the accommodation for that. You saved up for them every penny that you could have spent on yourself you thought no i can save this for my child and you did that you bought land you bought property and you saved it for them so that when you're no longer here they can fend for themselves but what if you forgot the most vital part You know the dhamma is the manual for life. There's no point giving someone a machine if they don't know how to operate it. Most of the time, what people do is, you know, all those, you know, lots of home devices, equipment. They come with a manual, but what we do, do do we normally do? We take it out of the box, throw the packing out, and then there's a manual. But do we ever bother reading it? So what we normally do is, we take it out, say a washing machine, mm-hmm. you plug the thing, and you t- start fiddling with it, turn the knobs, press the button, see what happens. And then after a few times where, you know, every time you put in, the clothes are coming out soapy, that's when you figure, right, I'm sick and tired of it, get that manual thing out. And now you start reading it. And you say, ah, so that's what we didn't do. But it was always there. We just don't feel we need to. Sometimes if you follow the instructions in the manual, you can make it last longer. Because it will tell you how to care for it after you have used it. This device or this equipment will come with a five-year guarantee. Hmm? But with a caveat. That guarantee will only stand if you follow the instructions that the manufacturer has given in the booklet. So when you take the thing to the to the back to the retailer and tell them you know this is broken two years on, then they will open it up and they'll check the insides of it. And they'll say See, you haven't serviced this part. See, it's all dust and grime here. It hasn't been serviced in in a long time ever since you bought it. I didn't know I had to service it. You didn't read the manual then. <laughs> so we can't honour the warranty claim. I'm sorry. See you have all come into this world, from the manufacturer, no, he has given you life. He has given you a guarantee, 70 years, hmm? lifetime guarantee. <laughs> what more could you ask for? There is a lifetime guarantee. This body is made to last for 70 years, isn't it? Yeah. You know, fully equipped, full option. There are the ventilators. There are the digesters. There are the excretors. There are the circulators. There are the regulators. It's all there. Heat regulation. Biochemical regulation. But if you don't read the manual... You can shorten that six, seventy years, all the way down to 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and it will start breaking. Your liver is meant to last for 70 years, folks. Sometimes maybe 80 or even 90. It was built, German engineering. It was built to last 90 years. But why did it start going wrong? Fifty years on, with twenty years left, because you started putting in toxic substances. When you don't read the manual, this is what happens. This thing, this machine, this motor, uh, this pump, was designed to last a lifetime. It came with a lifetime guarantee. Meant to last for ninety years. (coughs) Without skipping a beat. It was meant to last for ninety years. That's how your grandmother lasted that long. Didn't skip a beat. But what happened? You started putting in things that you shouldn't. You didn't keep it serviced. Hmm? No maintenance. You didn't give it enough rest. Because if you read the manual, it would have said, right, don't put in LDLs and VLDLs. Put in the HDLs. Hmm? Careful about the triglycerides. Hmm? Don't put in the fatty stuff. If you are, putting in putting the omega-3s, not the other fatty acids. Hmm, then they'll tell you, make sure you put this on a pair of legs and you, and you stick it on a running uh, machine for an hour a day. Have an apple a day, not a sneakers bar a day. It was all there in the manual. But like all... You know, machines. What you do? You, you took it, threw the manual out with the packing. Hmm? As soon as they cut the umbilical cord, packing the manual also got thrown out. Here's the here's the here's the equipment. The doctor gave that to the mother and said, "Take it home." <laughs> That's what happened. Now the same thing happens with the mind. <clears throat> this body is meant to last for ninety years. You know that mind is meant to last. Sansar. The length of sansar is meant to last. You get changed. Hmm? It's like changing your clothes. Get out of this shell into another shell, then you carry on. But look at, you know you know, this mind was not meant to suffer. So why do we suffer then? Because you didn't read the manual. So what is the Buddha then? It is the manual. The long lost manual. Like the chronicles of Narnia. These are the chronicles of the mind. It tells you every single thing about it. Where it can go wrong, how to prevent it from going wrong, the kind of diseases that it can contract. <clears throat> so, you know, at least at least now it's good that you know people are becoming interested in this. You know. Better late than never, isn't it? Because the good thing about this manual is, if you start, no matter when you start, if you start, then from that point forward, you can fix it. Unlike some machines where, you know, if it's too late, then you can't fix it again. This is not the case with the mind. Wherever you start, whenever you start, if you start working according to the manual, you can fix it again. And get it running at optimum condition. And some of you are coming close to that, running at optimum condition. And once you start running the mind at optimum condition, optimum performance, its possibilities are unlimited. You have infinite potential, each and every one of you. All of you, infinite potential. Unlike the body, you can't fly just because you think you want to. The body's capabilities are limited, but the mind's capabilities are unlimited. What evidence do we have? Our forefathers. Unlimited potential. Look at what Guru is doing. It's only been, what, five years since he started this place. Look at what he's managed to achieve. The best thing that he's managed to achieve is he's managed to bring us all here. That is his biggest achievement. The fact that you and I, we are both under one roof, that is what he has managed to achieve. Not the roof itself, but the fact that you and I are under that roof. This could be a banana leaf, that's okay. It doesn't have to be like this. We don't need four walls around it. it's all right. The fact that it's there is okay, that's a bonus, but that's not what matters. <clears throat> Two hundred odd people who roam this earth in the far corners, right here, there, everywhere. We've all come together. You know, there, there's a secret source for that. It's not easy to get two people to live together, huh? Don't we know that's So I'm in answer. <laughs> now times that by ten, hundred. You've got to understand how, how he does that. What is this magic? If it's so difficult for two people to live together, to coexist and to cohabit, how come 200 people can live together without bumping into each other and stepping on each other's toes and without, you know, like walking on eggshells? Live freely, happily, harmoniously. And there are many hundreds and thousands of people who come in every week every single week. <clears throat> and all those people who join us online, you know, they all come together, either physically or virtually, they all come together. Because what I see is, what he has, he has mastered, is, this, is the manual of the mind. Yesterday, a wonderful thing happened. He brought us together, the say the senior monks at the monastery, and he talked to us. He has tasked us with coming up with a program, which we tried to do just before corona happened, to give each and every one of you, give you a journey to go on. Like in business, you'll know this as a customer journey. Hmm? Those are the business terms, business lingo. But here what he wants is, for anyone who even comes close, he says, it is our responsibility to spot their meritorious power and to exploit it. In other words, use it in their benefit. So even if someone comes and steps foot at the monastery, find a way, pave a path, may create a journey for them from that point to their nibbana, to their arahathhood. Pave that part. So that is the task he gave us. As I said, we started to do this, he called this a Kalanamata. Long time ago, we started about two, two, two and a half years ago, about three years ago. Remember, we collected a lot of details and all that, but then the pandemic happened, then all stopped. So, he wants us to resume that. <clears throat> and at the end of this meeting, he said, Do you know why we are so successful? He asked us this question. He said, we are so successful because none of us focus on ourselves. He said, that is the only reason that we are so successful. None of us focus on ourselves. He says, I might be Guru Hamlu." and the leader of this organization. That is just a convention, I don't feel that way, he says. I don't feel that way. So, I don't feel that it has to be I who has to do this. It just has to be done. Whoever takes this seat will do it. So therefore, nothing I have done so far, I have done for my self-sustenance. It has always been for others. And he says, I want all of you to be like that. Never do anything for yourself. Always do for others. For as long as we keep to that ethos, <clears throat> this place will flourish. But one day there may be someone who will think to themselves, oh, look at this, you know, we've got so many devotees. We've got these projects going on, we've got that going on, all these people, they come and listen to my sermons. Hmm? So I'm well known to them. So perhaps, you know, I can start my own little thing. He says, if ever you decide to do that, then you will be the Judas. If ever you decide to do that, that will be the fracture. That will split this place up. That will start to spell the end of this mission. Until then, there is nothing that anyone can do to attack us. And it is true. I say this fearlessly. I say it because, imagine this. Say someone wishes to be my enemy. Right? They wish for nothing other than my destruction. How can they be? How can they fight against me when I'm also after the same thing? Hmm? Someone wants to destroy me. That is the same thing I'm after also. So now, how can I lose? Yeah, he said it in such wonderful ways and he said that the, this Dhamma has given us so much energy and it is what keeps our back straight. It is what keeps us fearless in the midst of all threats and challenges. Because those threats, when they come to us, they are like flower petals, they are blessings. Someone wishes for my destruction. <laughs> What else can I say than thank you? <laughs> hmm? That is what I've come here for. So, see, you can't, you can't beat me. I have become invincible. Not invisible yet. Invincible. Cannot be defeated. See, you can't, wouldn't you like to become someone who, who cannot be defeated? That's how you become the unvanquished one. Become an undefeatable one. You can't be defeated. You can't be defeated when you and your enemy are both fighting for the same thing. <laughs> Think about this, right? You have something, okay? This is very precious to you. Hmm. Now you understand that this preciousness is the problem. I don't want to feel this way about this. This desire that I have towards this uh, is, is, is the pain. <clears throat> That's the bane of my life. I want to get rid of this. Not this, but the preciousness I have towards it. And I'm thinking, when, how do I give this away to someone? I want to, I, want to, I want to be able to give this away to someone freely. Because I feel this attachment is just you know, weighing me down. It's such a burden to me. Someone comes and steals this. Huh? So how can you be robbed? This is my monkhood, folks. This is my monkhood. Not my robe, not my arms, but the fact that I cannot be robbed. I'm free. You can take my robe, but you can't rob me. You can take my arms away, but you can't rob me. You can take parts of my body away, but you can't rob me. (laughs) I dare you. Rob me if you can. This is the gift of the Buddha. You're all so fortunate. Think about the lives you used to live. Trying to protect yourself from the threats that surrounded you. You build those walls up. You put those cameras. hmm? Fortified doors. Double locks. All for what? To keep you safe from the robbers. Because you could be robbed. Now I teach you how. You cannot be robbed. How much longer do you need to live inside four walls after that? then you can open the doors and say, come on in, take whatever pleases you. And whilst you're taking that, I have something to tell you. You know, you also can become someone who cannot be robbed like me. <clears throat> you know, if it is this that brings the robbers to you, huh? if it's this that brings the robbers to you, and once they're there, if you can give them what you want to give them, Open the doors, let them come in. Because if what you give is what you get, and if you can give them peace of mind, if you can teach them, if you can show them the way to true freedom, why does someone rob? They rob because they think their happiness is in this. But when your happiness is all within, now your happiness cannot be taken away from you. You can't be robbed of your happiness. You can't be robbed of your peace. See, this is my monkhood. <laughs> now you still ask, why did you decide to ordain Swami Hansa? <laughs> oh, when you had everything going for you, Swami Hansa? When you could have lived a life of luxury? When you had things that only, you know, people could only hope for. And people could only dream for, dream about. When you had all that going for you, why did you leave all that and come into a robe and to a life of, you know, poverty? Where you have nothing today. Yes, I have nothing. I have nothing to fear. That is what I have nothing of. I have nothing today that keeps me up at night. So don't stop at you have nothing. And say the other part also. Saminas, you have nothing. Yes. That keeps you up at night. Oh, yes. Saminas, you have nothing and we have everything. You have nothing, Saminas. Yes. That makes you scared. Yes. And we have everything, Saminas. Yes. Isn't nothing everything? Isn't nothing everything you want? Everything you could ask for? That's how he said, you know, that was the advice he gave us right at the end, before we left. Never become someone who fights for anything other than Nibbana. It's not your Nibbana or someone else's Nibbana. There is no such thing. You know, your Nibbana sir and your Nibbana madam, your Nibbana puta, there is no such thing. Your lack of understanding of what Nibbana is, what makes you think that, you know, there's a, there's a self that's aiming and fighting for Nibbana. Then there's, then, there, then there's this, my Nibbana, their Nibbana, his Nibbana, you know, her Nibbana. There's no such thing. It is because Nibbana hasn't settled in, that's why you feel that there's an I, and there's a he, and there's a she, and there's an it, and so on. These are just minds looking for Nibban. So, there's Nibban. Fight for Nibban. Always aside side with Nibban. <clears throat> and if ever you fight for, for your peace, for your part, if you ever you fight for self-preservation, at that point, this, the whole thing will start to spoil. So, you know, I pass his message on to you as well. In your families, hmm, if you want harmony in your family, if you want happiness in your families, folks, be someone who cares and loves others, everyone else in the family, selflessly. Whatever you do, do it for others. No matter what that community is, that could be the family, that could be the workplace, hmm, that could be the monastery, that could be the country. If there's a president of the country, a, r- a ruler, a leader, and he wants harmony, unity hmm? Among all, between all, all people, all citizens, then by example, he needs to be someone who shows others that I exist to serve others. Not just words. Remember, words can flatter, but only actions will matter. So flubbery words, flattery words, you know, that is not what makes the, the difference. It's those actions. Are you deep down inside genuinely someone? You can't do this until you understand the Dhamma. That's the thing though. Yeah, otherwise you can you can pretend to care about others, but deep down inside you're still fighting for self-preservation. That is why the Dhamma has to come first. That is why I I invite our parents, you know, make sure that whilst you give your children everything, all the material wealth and luxury and all that, you know, that's there's no problem with that. At the same time, do make sure that they understand the Dhamma. You give them the gift of Dhamma. That is the manual of life. That is the manual of happiness. That is the manual of freedom. That is the manual of liberation. That's the manual of peace of mind. <clears throat> What's the point if you have the whole of the world to your name? But you are insane? Haven't you seen people like that? If you go to Angoda, there are people who believe that the whole world belongs to them. After all, it is simply a belief, right? Isn't it? There are people there who believe that they are the ruler of the world. What is the point in that? Because they are insane. Now put yourself in the same situation. Hmm? You bought for your child 50 acres of land. Hmm. Coconut and tree and rubber and all sorts of other things. You bought for your, for your children, right, uh, a, a, a house, a mansion, swimming pool, badminton courts, tennis courts, gym, all that, complete with all that. You yeah. earn for your child all the money that you can think of, that, that, that they'll ever need for, for, for ten generations, that's all, that's all the money they'll need. But in their mind, if they're not happy, it's like eating that ice cream. It's never enough. We talk about content, contentment is bliss. Yeah, how can you ever be content if what you're looking for is not in it, but you think it is? (laughs) Tell me how one can be content then. Did you catch that? So profound. As I've said, this is not me doing the sermon. How can you ever be content if what you're looking for is not in it, but you think it is? Every time you put it into your mouth, you're never satisfied, but you think it will be in the next one. You keep on doing it. How can contentment ever happen to you? Never. So we can sing songs about contentment, we can write poems about contentment, we can tell parables and, and, and fables about contentment. But if the the Dhamma, the manual of contentment, is not deep rooted in our hearts, then we don't you know it's not it's, it's just a it's just a wishful thinking. <clears throat> That's why this is so important. What you're doing here with your children is the best gift you've ever given them. That I can tell you a thousand times over. And still it is no exaggeration. What you are giving your children by bringing them here. And I am not saying this just because I am here. I am saying this because I am also here. Meaning, I also came here for that very same thing. So not my being here, but I am also here because I wanted that. You bringing yourself here is the best gift you've given yourself. Because here you receive that association. You receive people, you, you get the association of people who talk to you about the manual of life. Why you feel the way you do. They tell you, they tell you why contentment can never be found in the things that you do. So therefore, all these pursuits are simply a waste of time. Because for some people, you know, they make it their life's ambition to visit every restaurant in town. That is what they want to do before they die. Ask some people, you know, what are the top 10 things you want to do before they die? They'll give you a list of places they want to go. Yes or no? They'll give you a list of things they want to do. I want to do paragliding before I die. I want to go uh, mountain climbing before I die. I want to go on a hike to the Himalayas before I die. See, these are are dreams that people have. I want to own a supercar before I die. I I want to jump from a helicopter before I die. I want to own a helicopter before I die. Hmm? I want to set a world record before I die. Have you seen people do that? I want to own a Tag Heuer before I die. See, things to do before you die. (laughs) They're so focused on the things that they want to do before they die, they forget that they die. Things to do before you die. If there's any one thing to do before you die, that is what you're doing right now. The only thing that is worth doing before you die is to learn how to face death. Because none of those people have actually learned how to face death. That's why they say, before I die, I have to do it, because I don't know what's going to happen when I die. Isn't it? I don't know what's going to happen when I die. Right? I don't know how to face death. Right? It's just such a I oh, I don't want to even think about it. So without thinking about that, let me do all these things before I die. Don't know when it's going to happen, so I better plan it all. A man who's who, a man who's born crying. If he has to die crying, what matters? What all the things he's done during his lifetime? Imagine, you know, you you migrated to another country, okay, right? in 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 the hope of a good life. Hmm? You went there empty-handed. Let's say, all you had was the money for your ticket, and you bought the ticket. You landed there, and that was all you had. Then you had to go and find a friend to give you food and lodgings, okay? And then you spend there maybe say 25, 30 years, and now it's time to come back. Hmm? And at the airport, they ask you, right? Okay, or the, the taxation service, so what do they ask you? You know, what are your assets? You empty your pockets. Uh, I haven't really earned anything for myself. Everything I earned, I spent. So you're going back home empty handed? Yes, no, I don't have anything to my name. Now tell me, what was the point of you going there? If you say, I, I'm going there to earn a good living, hmm? I'm going there to do earn something, make someone out of myself, you went there empty-handed, you're coming back empty-handed, then what have you achieved by going there? <clears throat> if you hadn't left, if you hadn't left the country, at least you'd have had the, the money that you paid for the flight tickets. At least that you'd have had for yourself. Now, in the same way, if you, we've all been born human beings, hmm? we, we came crying, if you also have to leave crying, what empty lives those lives would be. <clears throat> People are beginning to understand this, and that's great, because the more you, you, you spend your time in the Dhamma, the more you'll understand this. Some people, you know, I know there are some devotees who come here, and, you know, they could, they, some of them, you know, they have, they have more more property, more assets, more, more value, more money than, you know, you, they could even dream of. Yeah, perhaps even you could even dream of. And they'll come and ask me sometimes questions. Like, Swaminaj, you know, I've got all this. So, you know, I, I find it difficult to balance my life between earning my money doing my business and, you know, this Nibbana thing that you th- you're talking about. How do I balance my time between these two things? You know, I've got a business to look after, I've got you know, uh, people to look after, I've got a staff of you know, several thousand people, I've got all these ventures going on, right? and I'm an important ma- man in this country, so I, need, I have lots of things I need to be doing. So how do you expect me to balance all this you know, with this Dhamma thing that you're talking about? <clears throat> So the question is, you know, I have a question for them in return. So, sir, you say you're rich, right? So why do you still cry then? You know, spend all the money you have and stop crying. Hmm? You still get angry, madam. Hmm? What, uh, spend all the money you have, give all the money in exchange, and earn your freedom of mind, peace of mind. So, <laughs> what is the point? If you got a cancer, right? if you if you were diagnosed with cancer, then what is the point of having all that money to your name? What, so you can spend it on treating your cancer? That is all you're gonna have to say. Okay, say you treated your cancer, what's gonna happen next? You're gonna die. <laughs> now, what if I didn't treat the cancer? They're still gonna die. <laughs> if the end is the same, <laughs> Huh? What matters, what path you've taken to get there? That is why the we, what we are here doing is to, not, you know, these are the things to do before you die. Here we learn how to die. Prepare ourselves for death. And that death is not necessarily the, you know, the death that happens, you know, when the, that machine goes teak that's not the death necessarily i'm talking about i'm talking about the death of your fears that's the death i'm talking about the death of your sorrows the death of grief if that is what death is none of you have died yet have you then die die go, <laughs> go hang yourselves <laughs> The death of fear, the death of grief, the death of sorrow, the death of vexation, the death of the fire of desire that burns you and everything in your way. See, when you when you when the fire of desire ignites within, within a man, right, people standing around him are in grave danger. Yes or no? Yeah. No one got raped by an arahant. So if you are still someone who burns and consumes is consumed by the by the rage of desire or by the by the by the fire of desire then the people around you have to always live you know in fear what you might do to them no one got stabbed by an arahant no one got de- decapitated by an arahant no one got murdered by an arahant So when aversion still lingers in your minds, you're a threat to humanity. So, you know, when people are fight, fighting for world peace, hmm, what, do you, what do you suggest is the best thing they could do? And they'll have symposiums and conferences and they'll fight for world, world peace. We need world peace. Let's fight for world peace. Hmm? What, do you, what would you suggest they do? What I would suggest is, you know, go and do that to yourself first. Find peace. Because when you're at peace, the people you live with will be at peace. You know, there'll be be a man or a woman who'll stand up on stage and they'll talk to an audience of 5,000 people and they'll say, let's fight for world peace at home he beats his wife. World peace. (laughs) <laughs> peace. peace? <laughs> What's the point? That's why you know. If you, if you walk the talk that you give, hmm? I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people who 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 talk the talk but they don't walk the walk. Hmm? If people walk the talk that they give, then they will be doing what you are doing right now, folks. You know, you're not just going around telling people, you know, this is Dhamma sermon. You should go and listen to it. You know, la, nah, nah, it's nee masamana, great, wonderful sermon. <laughs> Here's a CD. You should listen to it. In The temple there. You should go and listen to it. No, you're here in person, doing it yourselves. So you're not hypocrites. That is what matters. What you show by action is the best sermon that you can give. Because actions speak volumes. Your being here, your presence, is the best example you can set for your children, madam. That is why you are a good mother. By example you are doing that. That is why you are a good father. You are doing it by example. Not, you know, there's a, you have to go to Sunday school. Go, go, go. Ammi and Tati are busy. We have to go to the office today. Why? We have to earn money. We have to go to the the bills to pay. Well you go to Sunday school. Now, no wonder those children protest. You today also? I want to go play with my friends. No, no, no. Sunday school. But when you are doing it yourself isn't that the best example isn't that the best lesson you can give them if we have chosen to do it hmm, 50 years having lived on this planet and experienced what life is like if at this point we have decided no this is what we need to do on a saturday morning on a saturday afternoon then isn't that what you should be doing also that is the best example <coughs> And something else I thought I should mention to you or talk to you about. You know how you all do merits and you make a firm resolve that made by the power of these mates we be able to attain Nibbana? Yeah? <clears throat> Your merit power can come in various guises. You need to remember this. Your merit power can come in various guises. It is not down to you to decide whether this is the right way or the the wrong way. Let me give you an example. Say you are um, a very virtuous person, now you're doing merits, you're doing lots of merits, you know, today you you'll be doing lots of merits, and every time you do something, you know, you're serving arms, or you're laying out the, you know, the, the path for the Swamina says or whatever, right? You're giving someone, offering someone a chair, a glass of water, and you resolve, may by the power of these merits, I be able to attain nibbana. That force now begins to act, because you release that energy. You release that force, and now that force will begin to act. that force may bring you something like this. For instance, it may bring in front of you your worst enemy. Sometimes it may bring in front of you something which at that moment you don't like. Perhaps it can do something that might make you angry. As I said, it might bring you your worst enemy. It does that because that is the next obstacle you need to jump to get to Nibbana. That's why I say it could come in various guises. Imagine you are climbing some stairs, a flight of stairs to get to the top. Okay? The next step that you have to put your foot on is there because you have just climbed the step before that? Yeah? It didn't come to you, did it? You went to it. Fair enough? So, let's say there are 10 steps in this flight of steps and you are now on the sixth. Meaning, what's the next step? Seven. So, if you're on the sixth, the next one is the seventh. Yeah? The, you, the seventh one didn't come to you when you were on the, on the second step, did it? No, make way, make way, I want to get to that guy. No he didn't do that. He was there, just waiting for you to come to the sixth one. So by the time you come to the sixth one, the seventh step presents itself to you. What is that step there for to take you to the eighth step? That is what the seventh one does. Please think about this folks this is a this is a this is a gift I'm giving you because if you understand what I'm saying here what i'm what I'm sharing with you here. Every obstacle and every challenge that will come your way, you will go, yes. Nothing can face you after that. You will have such a positive attitude towards life. And all the vicissitudes that that life will throw at you, that nothing can rob you of your happiness. So the sixth step is there. You're on the sixth step now. And the seventh step has presented itself to you because you have pre-qualified yourself. You have qualified yourself to be presented to the seventh step because you're on the sixth step. And how did the sixth step get there? You are on the fifth step. So your being on the fifth step was the was the invitation for the sixth step to come to you. Yeah. In fact, it didn't come to you. You walked up to it. So with the seventh step there or the sixth step there, that is there to take you to the next step up. Because you started, when you were at the bottom of this flight of stairs, you looked at the top and said, I want to get there. And may everything that come in my way help me get there. So what are the steps doing? It's coming in your way. They're getting in your way. To do what for you? To help you get to the top. Isn't that what you asked for? Isn't that what you asked for? Your merit power will bring you one of few things. One, it will give you the supporting environment, what we call the upanishad, The supporting environment. Included in this are the four requisites. Because you need to sustain this, keep this healthy, keep this fit enough, so that you can do the internal job. Yeah, so you need you can't be hungry you can't be thirsty you can't be hot you can't be sweltering sweating and so on it's difficult to do it when it's like that so a comfortable environment that one of those things your merits will do so your offering of arms today will help you with that Are you one sapabala patibhan, panchani sansa that will do secondly especially that last part patibhan, it'll bring you Wisdom. And it'll usually package wisdom up in in a thing called a teacher. So they come in little packages called teachers. What does? Wisdom. They come in little packages called teachers. Do remember, this is your merit, working for you. I'm not here because I'm a good guy. I'm here because you earned it. That's why not everyone is here. This is your merit. You have your merits to thank for it, not me. In the Buddha's words, I have attained Buddhahood, I atta- you know, to attain Arahathood, to attain the Pacheka Buddhahood, to become a Sotapanna, all of this is down to merits. Because if Vipaka is everything, then all you have to your name are the merits and the demerits that you have done. That's all you have to your name and nothing else. That is why, you know, Guru Handra keeps on going about this. You know, like beating up a dead horse, he'll keep on going about it. It's not the money you earn, it's not how much you have to your name, it's not all the property, it's not the education. You know, these are fruits of the seeds that you sowed in the past. So therefore, don't count your successes by what, by what you have earned today. Count your successes by what you are sowing today. Because that is what you will have to reap in the future. You can be a very poor man, even by having a lot today. (laughs) Remember, a rich man is not someone who has a lot, a rich man is someone who knows how to earn a lot. (laughs) Oh, this sermon should be recorded. (laughs) A rich man is someone who knows how to earn a lot, not, not someone who has a lot. You come across a millionaire, he's just won it at a raffle. Take it away from him and he's a poor man. You come across a man who has earned himself a million. Take it away from him. In six months time he will earn two million. You know why? Because he knows that there are people out there who are out to get his millions. So he's going to prepare himself for that. So this time he'll earn two million. In six months. Now that's a rich man. So likewise, when you see how merit works around you, all the things that you've gotten for your merits, hmm? and you say this is like this is like someone coming and taking from you, isn't it? The fact that you're drinking a glass of water means it's like someone's taking your merit from you because you can't drink that same glass of water twice. That is merit you have expended. You all get my point, so someone's taking it from you. Life is taken away; it's it's draining you of your merit power. So, if you are wise enough, you will understand it in those terms, rather than you know being you know uh, uh, say be, being proud about the fact that you have all these merits. You know, look at all the things I have. Rather than being like that, the fact that you, you'll read the world, you'll understand the world, you'll interpret the world as this, these are simply merits reaping itself. What you'll begin to understand is, ah, okay, so if they are going to be expanded, then I need to be earning more. So you'll invest your time in earning more merits. <clears throat> that is what wise people should be doing. And that is what you are doing. Whereas the fool will simply enjoy what he has, what he has earned. He'll simply enjoy what he's got. He'll enjoy. That's why I say, you know, give a, a, a fool a million dollars in a very short period of time. What will be? What will he be again? Penniless. But give a wise man a million dollars and in a little period of time he'll become a multi-millionaire. Why? Because he understands this came and in the same way it can go. So before it goes, I'm going to multiply this. That is the investor mindset. Be investors. Don't be a nine-to-fiver. Be an investor. This is your business. So, mind it. This is an investment opportunity. And now we are talking, huh? Now it's worth your money, coming here. Huh? I'm talking about investment opportunities. Huh? Finally, a Saturday, we are actually making use of it. <laughs> hmm? Normally, to hear something like this, you have to go to the Hilton. <laughs> Uh, or to the Taj Samudra. Uh, and they'll have a conference and they'll talk about how to make, you, how to make your money work for you. Hmm? So I'm going to do it for you today. Become an investor. Have, a, have that investor mindset. Look at everything you have around you, folks, and realize that these are fruits of the seeds that you sowed in the past. Then, you won, you become very grateful for them. You don't think, take things for granted. Then you don't take things for granted. The people that you have around you, don't take them for granted. If you have a good mother... That's because of the merits... That you reaped in the past. You sowed in the past. You are reaping the rewards of that now. Don't take her for granted. If you have a good wife, sir... That's because of the merits... That you reap, You sowed in the past. And you are reaping it now. Don't take her for granted. If you have a good teacher... If you have a good mother... If you have a good friend... Don't take it for granted you will if you forget how you earned it if you don't take a moment to think about how you earned it you will forget and you will take things for granted but when you begin to understand the whole world as being anicca, in other words all this are the effects of causes all of this are results of action activities done in the past now you don't take this for granted you know what has come will go just as quickly The very fact that you have it means it's being expended. Think about it. What money do you spend first? The money in the bank or the money in your hand? The money in your hand. So, this is merit that is reaping itself now. Hmm? Meaning, you're spending it now. How do you know you have merits? When you spend it. (laughs) Think about this. You know you have merits when you spend it. How you know you have demerits? Again, when you spend it. So the fact that you are spending your merits means you have merits. But the fact that you are spending your merits means you are spending your merits. Means the money is running out in the bank account. You are spending cash in hand, but that cash came to your hand from the, from the cash that was in the bank. Meaning, that's feeding this, and this is feeding in this, therefore that's running out. Now you don't take it for granted because you know what comes will go just as quickly. These are the things we should be learning. This is life engineering. How to be happy. Isn't this the lesson you ought to learn in how to be happy? People will be taught how to invest their money but they'll never be taught how they got that money in the first place. It is not by investing you make money. It's by giving you make money. What you give is what you get. That is how it works. You know, it might be that a man will work hard, he'll labor. Hmm? He'll work 9 to 5, he'll do a job, he'll, he'll, he'll moonlight and he'll you know, work through the hours. And he'll say, no, see, see, through hard work I, I earned all this money. That's only half the story. Remember, giving starts the receiving process. Yes, of course, and you have to knock. Knock and the door shall open. But remember, for the door to open, there has to be someone on the other side. Yes or no? Knock, and the door will open. Yes, if there is someone on the other side. So first, you've got to make sure that there is someone on the other side. So yes, you have to work hard. Hard work will earn you money, but... Before you work hard, you've got to make sure that you have in store the riches, the luxuries, and the money that's due to come your way. It's not because you're working hard now that all of that is coming to you. All of that you stocked up earlier. Now you're simply knocking on the door and it'll open if there's someone on the other side. Putting that someone on the other side you did earlier. <laughs> How much should I charge for this lecture? What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) That's why you'll see some people, they'll they'll work their socks off. Day and night they'll toil. From dawn to dusk they'll work. But they have nothing to themselves. Nothing to their name. All they'll be left with is exhausted, tired, frail, and weakened by the labour of their own, you know, of of, of themselves, by their labour. Sweat, blood and tears is all they'll have to talk about. So they'll wonder, how come I work harder than you, but I don't get anything? You don't work half as much as I do, how come you've got everything? Because they don't see that they were knocking on a door, at a door without anyone behind it. They didn't put that guy there to open it when they were ready to knock. That's why. They don't tell you this story because they don't know how that happens. They won't teach you that at school. You know They'll say knock and the door shall open. But they don't tell you who, that you have to put that guy in the other, on the other side first. Because they don't know how that works. Because in economy they don't teach you that. For that, you need to read the Manual of Life. So, whatever you want, folks, just give it. And then one day when you'll need it, all you have to do is... (laughs) That's it. But if you don't have the person on the other side, you'll be... Hello? Hello, someone there. Hello, please. Hello, hello, help. (laughs) You don't need all that. Just make sure there's someone on the other side and then do. (laughs) That's it. Don't you know some of your friends maybe, hmm? they want to attain Nibbana. Mm, they'll go. They'll book on a. They'll book a flight and they'll get on a plane and they'll go to Zambodia. That you walk here. <laughs> What's the difference? You do. They do the other one. If you ask the both of them, what, why are you doing this? Funibar. What you reap is what you sow. That is why Guru Theravada always says, you know, that's why he's always going on about minutes. He's always going on about, you know, give, 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 whatever you have, give. If you're the poorest man alive, you know, give half of every grain of rice you get to eat. Give half away. And that is so true. Otherwise, what you'll be doing is you'll end up, you know, just knocking your bones out, wearing them out, knocking away. You'll be banging on that door and it won't be opened because there's no one on the other side to open it. No one's there to hear you. That's why they say, you know, giving starts the receiving process. You're here today because you have helped others to gain wisdom. That's what you've done. This, you know, this is where, you know, all those CDs you gave people, now they're counting. All those times where you held someone by the hand and said, come on, let's go to the monastery today. That may be in this birth, but in previous births. Maybe there was some other philosopher. Maybe it was Aristotle. Who knows, back then. But instead of going on all by yourself, you took a friend with you. and say, come on, man, you know, there's this is guy, is you know... He, 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 says, he, he says he's got something he wants to say I and mean, I think he's got, a, he's got a point. Let's go and talk to him. Let's go and listen to him. Let's see what he has to say. You, you pull them by the hand. You took them with you. And every time you did that, you released that force into the universe. You did it then in the name of happiness. You said, you know, I'm going there to find something, so, you know, the, the, the answer to the riddle of life. And one day, you know, I'll find it. Now that's coming back. The trickiest part of this is, you don't see that happening. That is why people don't have any faith in it. But at least if they stop to wonder, why is it that some people just keep on knocking and the door doesn't open? You know, at least they've got to start to wonder, right? And then they call it luck. So if you ask me, is there such a thing called luck? Yeah. You just have to define it properly. Luck is making sure you've got someone on the other side there before you buy the sweep ticket. (laughs) That is luck. So who makes your own luck? We make our own luck. I don't like to think that there's another power somewhere, you know, another force somewhere that has to take responsibility for my actions or has to make life good for me. No. If I've got a mind, if I've got a conscience, if I've got, if I if I can work diligently, hmm? if I've got everything I need to make the right choices, then why is it that I have to delegate my happiness to somebody else? And how why does I why do I allow someone else to de- de- decide how much I'm going to be happy, what quantity of happiness that I deserve? You know, let me be the the, the the decision maker of all that, and I am. See the choices I've made and where I am today. Are you, are you going to tell me that someone else made those choices for me? <clears throat> I often tell our Swami says, you know, and the fact that I can't imagine what I've done to have the best teacher in this world. <laughs> hmm? You come here once a week to listen to Guru Hanhraha. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) He's my teacher. So I share with my my, my fellow monks what it is that one needs to do to get that. Because we don't keep Guru Mousti. It is me sharing with others how you can get yourself a good teacher that got me him in the first place. Therefore, you can count on me to share with you openly and honestly everything that one needs to do to get themselves a good teacher because that is what I have done better than anything else in all of samsara. That is the proof I have. I have always been able to help other people, guide other people towards a good teacher. Look Look where that got me. Look where that got me. It's not the Dhamma. Because the Dhamma is the same Dhamma everyone gets. But it's taking someone to the good teacher or to the rightful teacher, to the right person, to the right teacher, taking the sick man to the right doctor. You know, that 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 process, that journey of inviting someone, inspiring someone, guiding someone, taking them by their hand and walking them if they are not prepared to walk all by, all by themselves, that action that generates a lot of power. And it is that power that today I am enjoying. Because it's always what you give that you get. Whatever you give, you get. So study me and see what I've got, then you'll see what I've given. That's why I have a cough today. Because that's what I've given. If I have a headache, that's what I've given. If I have a backache, that's what I've given. How did the Buddha get a headache? Hmm? He tells the story. How did he have a backache? He tells the story. How was it that when he was thirsty, he couldn't find something to drink? He tells the story. Ananda, in one occasion, in one of my previous verses, I had done this. That is why I did not deserve that sweet cake that the lady offered me. I hadn't given it. So I was not due to reserve it. And so I ask you again, you know, how much do you think I should charge for this, this seminar? Priceless, isn't it? Thank you for coming. Thanks to you, I got to hear me say these things. As a, this is neither you nor I doing this. This is, this is, this is energy. This is merit. This is vipa. Therefore, I don't take credit for it. If I am to take credit for it, then I am illusioned. I am deluded. There's a vipaka of energy, and and a a deluded mind thinks that I am that vipaka energy. Now, how deluded must that be? That is ignorance. Hmm? So it's not your merit either. It's just merit. Shortcomings in wisdom make makes someone feel that this is my merit. That is when they take things for granted. Because if something's mine, then it's mine, right? So I take it for granted. But when something's not mine, it's there, it's there for a reason. Not because it's mine, it's there for a reason. You know, this pen doesn't write because it's mine. This pen writes because there's ink in it and the nib works, it's not dried up. That's why it writes, not because it's mine. So, if you have possession of this, now you can write with it. Similarly, if there is merit, now that merit will bring you comforts in life. Not because it's your pen, therefore not because it's your merits. That in itself is the understanding that brings you from ping to kusat. So whilst you enjoy, you know, whatever merits bring you, at the same time contemplate on the truth behind that as well. And the same goes for demerit. There'll be times when demerit is acting. You know, all those backaches and headaches and leg aches and this aches and toothaches and all those aches, as well as when you lose things, right? When something that is useful to you is taken away from you. Reflect on the fact that oh, that is demerit. Not my demerit. Demerit. You can make it yours if you want. <laughs> Isn't it? When those robbers, right, when uh, they, they came and beat up uh, Mughalan Maharaj Hmm? was that merit or demerit? Demerit. Was it his? No. That was not his. If the body was not his, then how is the beat in the body his? Hmm? hmm? If the body is not his, so if the Rupa is not his, and then if the Vedana is also not his, if the Sanya or the Sankara or the Vinyana is not his, then how is the beating his? If so, how is the Vipaka his? But had he not been an arahant? he would not have had that comprehension. That knowledge wouldn't have been perfected. In which case, he might have thought, he would have thought that the Rupa is his, my body. Therefore, the Vedana is his. The Sanya is his. The Sankara is his. And the Vinyana is his. Therefore, the beating is his. Therefore, whose Vipaka? My Vipaka. His Vipaka this is not your vipāka, this is vipāka, and then you happen. That's what happens. There is vipāka, and then you happen. Because always, cakkunca paṭiccha rupeca upajati cakku that is vipāka. Following on from that chakku vinyana, now the mind goes into vexation. And to relieve itself of vexation, jāti happens, that is when his happens. That is when his happens. But the Chakku and the Rupa, they are all Vipaka. Isn't it? Chakku and Pati Rupa chakku So the eye comes first as Vipaka. The Rupa comes as Vipaka. Their contact happens as Vipaka. And out of contact, the Thought arises due to Vipaka, and the the purpose of this thought is to mind that object. What object? The sight object. Minding your own business, that's what the mind does. So as soon as the Rupa comes, now the mind process is ready to analyze it, to interpret it. So, receive, register, recognize, respond, perceive. This is what's going on. This is all Vipaka doing. So that happens. And then after that happens... Something else also happens which didn't happen for Mughal and Mahārātanas. That is, you happen. You know, much like, first you were born, then you got given a name, right? You didn't get a name before you were born? Ah, the same way, right? First, this vipaka happens, and then you give it a name. <laughs> you give it a name. You call it, me. You call it Saman, you call it Vimal, you call it Natasha. You give it a name because you feel that it happened to you. Remember the happening happened first, you happen later. You happen later. The right process happens first and the corrupted process, the corruption of that process happens later. What comes first, the software or the virus? Software comes first, virus comes later. What came first, lungs or pneumonia? <laughs> the lungs come first, pneumonia comes later. That's why always the right thing comes first, the wrong thing comes later. <laughs> That's how always it works. How it always works. As a Chakku vinyana pacche jatai. Rupe pure jatai, chakku vinyana pacche jatai. And in the same way, chakku vinyana pure jatai, this jati is pacche jatai. It comes later. Because this is when the mind goes insane. For the mind to be insane, it's got to come out first, right? Hmm? So first events happen, then you happen. So really, what you are, you are all reporters of things that have happened to you. you although, you, you know, we have this uh, present continuous tense, that's a lie. You can only really speak in past tense. <clears throat> so, I am seeing is nonsense. I saw. The moment you say I, you can only complete that sentence with the past tense. You can't say I am seeing. No, no, that, that's not how it happened. Yes, seeing is fine. <laughs> But if you say I, now you have to say saw. <laughs> because the seeing happened first. I came later. So if I came later, then I saw. Not I am seeing. Yeah, I'm trying to put it in various and numerous ways to help you figure this out. So I, I recognize this. Understand this is what's going on. So ne- never therefore fall for this, fall for this lie you will feel a self yes but always be conscious and aware that this self is simply a hallucination this is this is this is the mind gone insane the mind gone weary this is what's going on so conscious of that now you recognize that this is not sukha but dukkha that very identif- that very recognition is what steps you from of manasikara to of manasikara because when you're in Ioniso Manasikara, you think that I am, yes, I am. What's the problem? I am. But when you begin to understand that, no, 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 not I am, there's a process. And that makes this mind feel that there's an I. Now that thinking itself, that thinking pattern itself kicks you into conscience. This is Ioniso Manisikara. So then whatever you feel as an I the things that the emotions that you go through as an I the sorrows and the grief and the fear that you feel as an I you know these are simply production creations of the mind it's not real fear is not something that really exists it's a nightmare wake up it's a nightmare you know when you're in a nightmare? When you're you know when you're having a nightmare, you've all that nightmares, right? So you know, you'll, you'll have hurt people. Sometimes you know they scream. Hmm? Uh, 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 um, um, uh, elephants, elephants, elephants. Hmm? Oh I'm drowning, drowning. Hmm? Heard Hurt people? Yeah. None of they swear in their nightmares, things that they would never even dream of saying while they're while they're fully awake. Or maybe someone you know in the nightmare they see they saw, they're falling off a helicopter, with a, with a, without parachute. Uh, you you know we've all been there. We've we've been chased by elephants. Uh, we've been chased by uh, a man wielding a weapon or a gun, right? Maybe ISIS. Uh, when those stories are are there, right? Or when there's a tsunami or whatever, you know, then you you dream that you know it's happening to you. Or maybe the the roof of your house is is collapsing. These are things that you have in your nightmares. Right? Just think about it. I'm going to leave you with this for today. Okay, Think about this and come back next week with, with what you have thought about it. This is a good exercise. When you're having these nightmares, <clears throat> I told you today was going to be a good day. right? When you have these nightmares, you scream out loud, right? So people who are stood next to you and they're awake, you're the, you're the one who's now dreaming. okay? You're asleep. People who are stood next to you, what do they hear you say? Save me! Help! 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 I'm drowning! Hmm? Or oh, elephants! Save me! Hmm? Now, those people who are awake, what should they do? Save you from the elephants? <laughs> exactly. No wonder, of course, she should be saying it. None of my best students. Huh? I said, drowning, drowning, drowning help me, I can't breathe, (gasps) can't breathe. What should they do? Bring you an oxygen mask. Hmm? What do they do? No matter what you say, they'll only do one thing. Wake up. Yes. You scream out of fear. What do they say? Wake up. You're crying with grief. What do they say? Wake up. Maybe you are having a sensual dream. And you are saying things that you would never say in, in, in public. In the presence of other people. Huh? You are asking for someone. You want them to be with you. Hmm? So there is a person stood next to you. He is awake. What does he say? Hey. Wake up. So no matter what you say, what will they always say? Wake up. What do you hear me say? Wake up. I will never give you what you ask for. If what you're asking, you're asking while you're in your nightmare. Because that is not what you need. You're asking me to save you from elephants chasing you. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, wake up. You're asking me to save you from drowning. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, wake up. You come and tell me I feel these sensual thoughts and it's burning me. I'm dying from it. Oh, my God. I can't can't walk on the road. I can't be at home when I switch on the Internet. You know, all these things, they just completely consume me. So I'm in answer. What do I do? How do I control my Internet usage? What do I say? Wake up. Because you have all these problems because you are still asleep. These are nightmares. These are nightmares. That's why your noble friend will only ever say one thing. Wake up. All these things you are crying about are things you are crying about because of jati. You're crying about Jara, you're crying about Marana, you're crying about Shoka, you're crying about Parideva, you're crying about Dukkha, you're crying about Doma Dasa. Hmm? About lamentation and discontentment and suffering and grief and annoyances and frustrations. These are the things you're crying about. But when you come to us, all we'll say is, no, no, forget the grief. Fear? Leave it. Sorrow? Grandmother died? Ah, Leave it. Mother sick? Leave it, man. Hmm? Addicted to porn. Leave it. Drugs. TV. Wake up, yaar. <laughs> wake up. Manicha dukkha, anatta. That is the wake up call. Once you are woken up, all those nightmares disappear like Once you're in, when you are in jati, you have 11 great fires to deal with. But if you come here and deal with jati, put that out, 11 goes out. Hmm? So, last words I have to say, wake up. All right, let's take a moment then, transfer the merits that we have all acquired. Resolve that may, by these merits, in whatever guise, our merits might come to us, either as friend or foe, that we will embrace them and we will make use of them on our journey to Nirvana. Let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem and chanting this into the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, Upasakas and Upasikas, who since time immemorial, have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage, in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer the maids we have acquired today to all members of the Mahasanga, present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters, who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer these message to Guru Swami in Nuhansi as well as all the teachers resident at the monastery, the monks, Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these messages and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them, And may, through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane. May, through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of nibbāna. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who, for the sake of merits, continue to sustain the Mahasangha, this includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes, and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May, through the power of these maids, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nirvana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer maids to our mothers, fathers, husbands, and wives. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers, employees, and to all those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way. And by the power of these medicines, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the Noble Eightfold Path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nirvana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transmit this to the Devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, Primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambuddha Sasana. They must transfer so, merits to our guardian deities who so keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. May it, through the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nirvana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, and to all those who have been families, friends, and acquaintances in this infinite long journey in Sansar, and to those who have helped, supported, and assisted us in any way, shape, or form they could. Let us transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation, and may all those who have lost their lives in the war, be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us transfer merits to all those who lost their lives in natural calamities, such as tsunamis, earthquakes, landslides, pandemics, forest fires, blizzards, and so on. Reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to them, and may, by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of nirvana. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. And let us all resolve that may, through the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may, through the power of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who helped make this program a success, become an Arahatan Muhanse, an Arahat Therani Muhanse, in this very life itself, and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sad, sad, sad. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all.